Hey, guys. Huh. Check this out. And welcome to Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of the media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am Elle, your host, and with me today is special guest and enemy of the show, Michael. Uh, if you would, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, I am uh, Michael, and I am a Star Trek fan, a Trekkie, or as I previously identified as a Trekker and did not did not like the term Trekkie, but that is that can be part of the discussion today. It's uh, you know what what do you call yourself, and that's that is actually that is actually a topic of debate. <laughs> and uh, otherwise, I have been in sci-fi and computers and video games, you know, for much of my life, and that those are where my interests lie. Also, I am. A bit ADHD and neurodivergent in probably other ways, and that's basically a well-rounded view of me. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. <laughs> now, you're bringing something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about, and I think we can guess. And um, Could you talk a little bit about it in your own words? Well, Star Trek was something that... My parents, both of my parents, enjoyed uh, the original series back in the 60s, and they grew up with. So when I was born and growing up, there was this new thing called Star Trek The Next Generation. And there were also the the movies that were coming out with the original cast. Uh, And they, you know, brought me up as a child with this thing. And it was like, oh, this is really cool. And like, as I... As I um, grew up and matured, I got to see even more deeply uh, some of the things that I had missed as a child. Because it's like, as a child, you can be just like, oh, hey, spa- you know, space laser show is really cool. But then, you know, you watch it again as, a, as an adult and you're like, oh, this actually has some deep philosophical issues that get tackled. And that's definitely, you know, you know, where I, where I come from, you know, it's like you, you, you get to rewatch the things that you had as a child and, you know, appreciate them more because you understand them better. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, there's shows that come out that are specifically designed for that, like Adventure Time or Gravity Falls, I believe, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, kids will like it. Adults will get more out of it. Yeah, nobody really watches and rewatches an episode of Sesame Street that much, unless it's like, say, a famous actor that you, that you appreciate. But like, you're not watching, uh, you know, Elmo teach you shapes several times in a row, trying to get the deeper meaning. <laughs> well, this is very much a commentary on the bourgeoisie. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I can get that. 
Um, cool. So I have my prepared list of questions that are designed to delve a bit deeper into that enjoyment of yours, if that's all right. Uh, that is perfectly okay. All righty. So question one. Imagine I was someone who's been recently awoken from a coma, or resurrected from being frozen in ice, or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge of modern times and sentience. So essentially, I know what media is, but I have never experienced any. How would you explain Star Trek without comparing it to something that I wouldn't know? I, well, the uh, creator of Star Trek did compare it to something he knew. Uh, he called it Wagon Train to the Stars, but then you would have to explain what Wagon Train is. And even a lot of people who have not been recently unfrozen or whatever would not understand that reference. So that's definitely a question that is relevant, even if you haven't just been recently unfrozen. <laughs> so what uh, Star Trek is, and at least what it is to me, it is a science fiction show that posits a future with some fantastical it, they they for the most part i'm not going to say all the time and definitely in certain cases not all the time but in, for the most part they try to make realistic um advances in science and things that could possibly happen. And then other things, of course, are just going to be for plot convenience or filming convenience and stuff like that. But it's, uh, you know, they take the sci-fi and they use the science fiction and take uh, struggles of our world today or the world of when it was filmed because it is a very long-running series. Uh, a group of series, a franchise, I should say, uh, and they take this—they take the ideas and concepts of the world today, and they abstract them to a different, like say, alien civilization that that has similar, you know, similar problems, but not the same, so that you can get the idea of these things in your in your head. And understand without a personal, without as well, I wouldn't say without a personal, um, you know, input, but without as much personal input because you are looking at an abstraction of the issue rather than the issue itself. So you don't get as much um, of yourself into um, and your own personal biases into the thing, and it helps you look at these issues from a different perspective. And it's obviously, uh, for the most part, going to be very left-leaning in its um, in its interpretations, but there are definitely certain elements of it that that the shows the shows themselves do not. Uh, there, there are elements that that uh, they don't say this is the right side or this is the wrong side or what have you. They just leave it for you to see for yourself and interpret what is going on and then hopefully realize that it is not just a silly space show and you can apply this to a real world issue where you don't need the warp drive, where you don't need the transporters, and where you can actually interact with a person and not, say, this fantastical Klingon. 
Yeah. So it's uh, just sort of a wider range of social issues. It mm-hmm. Kind of buried a little bit, but like if you're even vaguely aware of what you could be looking for, it's pretty obvious. Right. And then there's also the the points where some of it is just fluff and filler. And that's okay, because if you're going to be constantly worrying about social issues like 100% of the time, it can get exhausting. So it's like sometimes it's just Captain Proton Hour. You know, it's... Yeah, you, you need the, the side characters to have an adventure while everything else is going on. Exactly. <laughs> so, question two. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. So what stood out to you the most? I would say that... The show has, you know, deeper, you know, the show has surface elements that you can enjoy, but also deeper meaning and the ability to rewatch it um, several times and pick up things that you didn't before and realize that this is talking, you know, this can be talking about a variety, you know, not, not even just the intended issue that maybe the writers were looking to point out but also you know these things could apply to other you know other issues other concepts other um things that you know um you know words (laughs) sorry (laughs) yep no quite all right i think i speech trained myself That's all right. That's what editing is for. Okay, so... I think we're both waiting for each other. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you want to continue off from where you left? Oh yeah, no. I I was basically done. That's the thing. Oh, I just okay. had. I just couldn't find the right word for my ending. <laughs> mm. So it's just like it has those, as we've mentioned, those deeper issues that you you gain the appreciation for over time and with multiple uh, viewings. Yeah, and yeah, and it's all. It's all, and you can also look at it in a, you know, in a historical perspective because the original series was done in the 60s and the, the original movies were done in the 80s and then the next generation was done in the 90s and then Deep Space Nine, you know, that was the early 90s and then Deep Space Nine and Voyager uh, in the, in the uh, late 90s and Enterprise in the 2000s. And then there was a bit of a gap before the reboot movies in 2009 through 2000, basically the early 2010s. And now we have a plethora of new shows that have been, uh, this is like the revival era. Some have been calling it because you have um, Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds, Star Trek um, Lower Decks, 
and there's apparently a section 31 um, series in the works, possibly. I'm not sure whether that's actually going forward or not, but it's, you will, you will definitely see that all of the series are of their era and you can look back and find things that have, I would say socially, socially changed. And you can look back, um, like I'm going to, I'm going to say like in the original series, there was, uh, a, an episode called let that be your last battlefield. And it was covering very blatant racism because they had these aliens that were fighting with each other. And one was half black on the right side and half and, and white on the left side. And the other one was white on the right side and black on the left side. And it's like, this is really overt racism. This is like, as somebody, as uh, Steve Shives put it, the preachiest stuff on television. Uh, and it was, it, that, that is an issue that we're not dealing with today. Uh, we are definitely, of course, still dealing with racism, but it's in a different form than that particular episode was uh, addressing. And therefore, we can see that, you know, how society has moved moved differently, you know, from the times when this stuff was um, fresh in people's minds. Yeah, just like picking people up from the collars and shaking them. It's like, do you get this one yet? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, people sometimes don't. Yeah, and unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so I guess uh, question three is, uh, we can tell that this is a subject that you care about, but what got you to give it a chance in the first place? Well, I, I did mention that um, very uh, in-depth kind of in my intro, is that my mm. parents were... Um, Star Trek fans of the original series and the movies, and therefore I was five years old when The Next Generation came on, and it's like, oh, this thing that we loved from our childhood is back. Um, Let's get our child into it. And, you know, maybe he will appreciate it just like we did when we were children. And that's how I got into it, and I just, and like I said, I just grew up with it because I always had an interest in science and and that type of thing and it was just a thing that I latched on to naturally for the surface elements and then of course like I said as I grew up um rewatching some of these things the deeper meanings started to show through it's like if if you can uh look at some of this stuff as a child and, you know, get it early on. You can, like, maybe you don't understand a lot of the elements that are being talked about. Like, when I was, you know, when I was a, when I was in my um, early teens or whatever, I probably would not have understood exactly what, say, Cisco was going through uh, in the Pale Moonlight and trying to get the Romulans to enter the Dominion War. And as, as a teenager, I thought it was a good story, but you, you have to look back at it and you realize exactly 
what sacrifices that Cisco was making of not only himself, but other people who were not, um, you know, necessarily consenting to have those sacrifices made. And the question is, is, is the, is the quote greater good, um, worth making these sacrifices for one of yourself and two of, uh, non-consenting people? Is that worth it? And the episode ended that he believed it was, but of course, as a, an episode, it's as, it's asking you the question: Did he? Do you think he's right? And I, of course, did not appreciate that as a teen. I just thought, oh, this is a pretty good story. But now it's definitely a deeper philosophical struggle. Yeah, leaving that ambiguity in. Yeah, exactly. So he he Cisco as the character does he knows what he has done and he believes it is worth it. But the episode definitely the episode the writer I would say when I say the writers of the episode definitely ask you do you agree? And they don't they don't say yes, he's right or no, he's not right. They want they want you to think about it and that's the whole point. Which is, I guess, maybe a little bit of an interesting segue then that you talk about uh, like making decisions for people who aren't able to consent then because it's like your parents got you into watching Star Trek rather That's than... That's true. Just, That's not actually something I never even thought about, but yeah. Rather, <laughs> rather than like they are watching it and allowing you to experience it like and then make your own choice. It's more like uh, a little bit like they're just like, yep, sit down, watch this because we like it and you must like it. Well, it's I, I wouldn't say a that they were like, you must like it, but they were like, this is a thing that you that we like. We think it um, we think it also aligns with your interests. You can try like if I really didn't, I was such a child that if I really did not want to do something, I was stubborn and obstinate. And I like if I really hate, if, you know, if they tried to sit me down as like, hey, watch this new whole Star Trek thing with Picard and all this stuff. And I didn't like it. I would just refuse. I would just tune out. I would just like twiddle my thumbs or play with my feet or something and I would just not watch the thing even if I was sitting if if I was physically sat down in front of the TV like you have to be here mm. you know while the show is on I would if I didn't like it I would not have paid attention at all yeah no fair I'm just remembering remembering like for myself mm -hmm. with uh, Gilligan's Island like, oh yeah that's a show that my parents liked and it started out with me wanting to just stay up longer because they were up longer because they're adults. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, they're incidentally watching this thing. I guess I'll watch it too. There was never it's any better than going to sleep. Yeah. But there was never any uh, like, oh, you know, we enjoy this. We think you'll enjoy it or whatever. It's right. just like, yep, sit and watch it, even though it's past your bedtime or whatever. It's just like, yeah, all right, you can watch it. We're not going to stop you. But that was, I think, more of an organic introduction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But as and I said, so it's just, just a little bit of an interesting sort of side segue thing. That Yeah, that's definitely 
not something I even really considered until you you brought it up. Was was this something that, like, as as a child, I could not have really consented as much, you know, like, well, I mean, you have to figure out how you, how you can define consent for a child. But like I said, like, if I really didn't like it, I would just maybe physically sit there, but I wouldn't pay attention. So I, yeah. there, there is some level of consent, but obviously that's a difference from adult consent. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's more like contrasting parenting styles because you know everyone's just making it up as they go along you know everyone's ideally everyone's doing the best they possibly can with the materials and knowledge they have of course of course and hopefully if you're going to be a parent definitely go into the things with the knowledge that you're not perfect and if you screw up absolutely apologize to your child do not like try to like say i'm the adult therefore i have to be you know i have to you know rigidly you know go to my child like what i say goes uh you know even if i'm wrong it's like you can apologize to your child you can grow you will grow with your child and your child will definitely trust you more if you realize that something you you have done is not in their best interest yeah and kids are sometimes smarter than like a lot of people think it's like sometimes they can handle some pretty big stuff right especially when and we can segue kind of segue back into like star trek and the overarching uh, ethos of you know various moral tales that they have told it's like you may not have caught the entire thing but it probably latched into your subconscious on your first viewing which is probably why you went back for that second viewing yeah exactly um question four i this might sound like a bit of a joke but bear with me (laughs) Uh, for some people a sense of community and like-mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something to your knowledge is there a community around star trek that you're aware of and if so what are they like yes there is a couple of people like one or two you know exactly uh Oh, Trekkies, Trekkers. I, I don't think any there's any real holdouts for the term Trekkers anymore. But there are still definitely, um, you know, remnants of that around. And the community is a fractured mess, <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> because you have the people who only want the old stuff and all this new stuff is terrible garbage and this is not real trek like real trek is and if effectively what it's it's childhood nostalgia for the most part what people grew up with is usually what they're comfortable with and therefore like what star trek hits you when you were in your developing stages that's real trek to you 
and anything before is ancient history, and anything after is newfangled and scary. I don't like thing when I like other thing. Exactly. And it's like the, the issues that, say, Star Trek Discovery is tackling are a lot different from the issues that Star Trek, the original series, was tackling, like I said, with the whole, you know, racism aspect. Like, they're still tackling racism in Discovery and Picard and, you know, all of the new shows, just like they were tackling it back in the 60s. That is literally 60, 65 years ago. Um, I, th- I think it's the 65th anniversary. I'm... Uh, 60, 60 odd, <laughs> you know, let's put it that way, 60 odd years. And the problems haven't gone away. They have just changed. And the, um, like I said, some people, some people, what they grew up with, people have a tendency to, once, once they become, I want to say past mid twenties, the thirties, they start breaking off from society and they get more set in their ways. Not everybody, of course, but, uh, you know, as, as you grow, you stop, you stop tending to embrace newer ideas and newer concepts. And therefore the things that, you know, the thing, like I said, the things that are new and scary don't feel comfortable to you. But like the, the, one... the more ingrained in the, the status quo that you are, the easier it is to just accept it as you get older. Right. But of course, like I said, the status quo keeps changing. <laughs> mm. And of course, the the other part is that one of the, I would say, benefits of Star Trek is that it will take this it will take and challenge you and it's that's part of the whole point of the show it's going to challenge you it's not it's not there to make you comfortable it's there to make you reevaluate serious things as well as be being goofy at, at times yeah i mean you could always sit through a university lecture about the topic that the the episodes are handling or you could engage with it in, a, in an entertaining way that gets you to think about it without you realizing. Yeah, like um, there's there's several there's several uh, Voyager episodes that I really like. Um, a couple of them are just because I love time travel, and like that's why the Year of Hell is so um, fascinating to me. But on the more you know philosophical ideas, you have the ones like the episodes like the thaw where this species was going through an ice age that they couldn't actually um, survive. So therefore they put themselves into a cryogenic storage that the computer was supposed to wake them up after the ice age was over, but it would keep their minds active and running. So they did, that they didn't deteriorate and everything. Uh, but then Voyager comes along and it's like, uh, the computer didn't wake him up. What's going on? And what it turned out to be was that in their minds, the manifestation of fear had evolved and was literally caging them because when the computer system shut off, it would die. 
it became a sentient computer program and it wanted to survive. And the question is, you know, are you allowed to let this thing survive if it is preying upon other people? You know, and it's like there is there's definitely the self preservation aspect of it. And, you know, that's an important, you know, that's an important episode. It's like, how do you deal with fear? How do you personally deal with fear? Do you have the right to eliminate a sentient being who is is torturing other sentient beings? What do you do in in similar situations? And it asks a number of poignant questions like and that uh, that could be in various topics. Like I said, you know, how to how to deal with fear on a personal level but also how to deal with, I guess you would say, societal fears. Well, it's like the inherent bias of value. It's like the snap decision, uh, houses are going up in, like, uh, either up in flames or being brought down by earthquakes or whatever. It's like, who, right. who do you save first? Do you exactly. save you, you have to, your own and, family? And do you save... Your your yeah. neighbor, do you save some random person down the street you've maybe seen three times in your life or a complete stranger? Where does, exactly. where does, your, and where does like, your effort stop? And like, if, is there, if, if there is an option to um, save a person who doesn't want to be saved, like the, the fear program in, in that, um, in that episode did not want to be saved in a specific way. Cause I like, we could, we could create an artificial brain that is simulated and you can run on that and we, you know, we'll keep you running and everything. And it's like, yeah, but you have an off button there and I don't want to be saved like that. I would rather keep these people in prison so I can survive, you know? And it's like, this 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 the sentient being is not consenting to the salvation that would be the benefit of more of society and it, mm-hmm. so it would go into both consent as well as fear as well as the trolley problem as well as a number of things because it's also like there's i can't remember who said it but there's a famous quote it's like everyone exists without their consent. Yeah. I never asked to be born. Exactly. So, you know, what, where do you draw the line of, you know, you didn't get, you didn't choose to get born. Do you get to choose when you leave? Mm -hmm. And one of the, one of the more, um, of course, one of the more poignant episodes of Star Trek Voyager is Tuvix where, um, there was an original series episode. I do not remember the name, but it had the transporter, this fantastical device that could, you know, beam you up and down. Uh, and what happened was because of some sort of glitch or something, I can't even remember exactly what caused it in the episode, but it split Kirk into two entities. And one of the entities um, did not want to be remerged because, but the problem, of course, was that if they didn't get remerged, neither of them would survive. 
and of course they wouldn't get the original ca- Captain Kirk back if they didn't remerge them. But the one the one entity did not consent to a remerging. But then it's like this is the only way we can stay alive, and it's with your your you have to help me not only keep me alive, but also keep yourself alive. But it's like, I don't want to be alive in that way. But then the reverse happened in Voyager with Tuvix, where Tuvok and Neelix get merged accidentally in the transporter. And then the res- and they couldn't split them uh, quickly enough. So it's like, well, you're just going to have to live for a while, you know, with us and we'll have to deal with this. You know, we're sorry. We can't really, you know, fix this, um, right now. So like, you know, we're going to keep trying and we're going to keep investigating this, but this is, this is going to be the condition that we're living in for this while. And if then, and then Tuvik starts to grow and he has the memories of both Tuvok and Neelix and that becomes awkward and that becomes, you know, a thing, but it's like, then they figure out, Oh, we can fix this. We, you know, it it took them several months to figure out how to reverse the process. But in that time, Tuvix has grown as a person and does not want to die. And so Mm. Captain Janeway was like, well, we have, you know, it's like, I want to live. And it's like, but then Captain Janeway is like, but there's two other voices that we can't hear right now. And what, and wouldn't they want to be, you know, heard as well. And Tuvix is like, I think of them as my parents. They're gone. Like what happened has happened. I'm here right now. And it's just the, the ethics of what, what to do. And that is, that is even an even more poignant episode with regard to, did they do the right thing? Because there are harsh and serious debates on whether Janeway did the right thing at the end. Janeway, if if you look at her expression in the final shot, Janeway doesn't even know whether she's done the right thing. She's done the thing that she's done the most, I would say, she, she has done, I wouldn't even say the most ethical thing. She has done the most... Ex, not even expedient. Um, she has done the th- she has done the thing that benefits the most people, but it's still ethically dodgy. <laughs> yeah, I mean sometimes that's the choices you have. Yeah, and it's not, like not a question wrestling. of yeah. It's never a question of those choices that it's like you get to not hurt people. It's just how many people do you have to hurt a lot or less? Yeah. And if, and if you have two bad choices, what do you do? (laughs) Because you are going to always have two or more bad choices and no good choices in real life situations. Yeah. Um, So question five. There are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people. What is your favorite part? 
of Star Trek. Well, it, I would say it's probably the diversity of Star Trek. Uh, there, like I said, there are you know campy episodes where it's just Captain Proton having fun in the holodeck, or um, you know, there's serious episodes like you know, like I said, within the pale moonlight, or one of my favorites, I would say, is uh, it's only a paper moon where Nog uh, is part of the Dominion War, and he gets his leg blown off uh, prior to the episode starting, and they regenerate his leg, but he has to suffer. Th- he has to, I would say, suffer through and start recovery from PTSD, and PTSD is definitely a serious issue that people, you know, dealt with for millennia and still are dealing with today because war is always gruesome, but it's like, if, if that's not your jam, you can also go to the other types of episodes. Like you can go to Voyager with the time travel, like, uh, you know, uh, you can say, Oh, it's like, Oh, what, what do you do with the, uh, you know, going back a day in the past to try to prevent a tragedy or say you want a, um, there's, there's a lot of good, funny Ferengi episodes in deep space nine. If you want some comedy, uh, but star Trek has such depth and such variety that it has what you're looking for. Even if you don't know what you're looking for, because, there's there's so much that it says because it's such a long running uh, franchise that you will find what you like somewhere in there. Yeah, there's uh, the smorgasbord. There's something for everyone. Exactly, and that's what I would recommend to somebody who like like I was. Uh, you know, it, it, you have to have been living under a rock, like your like your first question, to have not even heard of Star Trek. But a lot of people have an idea of Star Trek, but they only have like a surface idea of Star Trek. They have, oh, Captain Kirk, Captain Picard, you know, uh, Janeway, you know, and it's like, oh, they, they have these general bases for what star trek means but they don't actually because they have not actually experienced it very much they don't understand that like oh there's something in here for horror fans if you're are you a horror fan well watch these episodes do you like time travel here's some episodes for you do you want to deal with the issues of war we have some episodes over here and there you know it's like you know you probably won't find if you if you just watch a series as a whole there's going to be definitely episodes that you bounce off of because they're not your thing but then there's also going to be the episodes that are really where the you uh you you resonate with them and those are the, like i said those are the ones that you come back to yeah so uh... Yeah, as I said, it's like it, even if you just pick out little bits and pieces, you mm-hmm. you'll get something out of it. And what I would what I would highly recommend, of course, is like if you do have any interest in watching Star Trek, talk to a fan. Talk to a fan who knows the episodes, 
and find out like it's 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 not like which series should I watch? What you know? What you know? What should I watch here? It's like what do you want out of Star Trek? And we can guide you to what you want to watch because if if you feel like i don't like star trek you probably do you probably will still find episodes that really really go into it like there's there's not there's not very many horror episodes in star trek as a whole but there are definitely at least i want to say three at least three um there's there's you know some themes are not really explored um and that's okay because you have plenty of other franchises that will uh pick at those um those ideas and that's you know that's that's definitely for you but it's like star trek like i said star trek has this smorgasbord and what you want if you don't, if you if you don't really understand Star Trek and how it's structured and how, and what each series brings to the table, you won't know where to begin. You won't know where you want to be to get out of it what you want to get out of it because you can get a lot out of it, and what you what you bring to the table will resonate back at you if you're if you're watching the right episodes. If you're watching the right series, etc. Cool. Uh, so uh, this normally comes a little bit later, but I think uh, now might be a good time for a word from our sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. Just uh, such a fascinating read on those ads, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so back to the questions, uh, question six, following on from the previous question, what do you think would appeal most to the general public? Probably the whole sci-fi aspect, because there's a lot of things that Star Trek as a, there's a, there's a, a term that a lot of people use when describing Star Trek, especially people on the left, um, will say that Star Trek is fully automated uh, luxury gay space communism. And I disagree with that because if you look at each of the series, there is at least one of those elements missing, and that's part of the point of the series. That series, like um, the whole fully automated part. If you're watching Deep Space Nine, the the space station is breaking down half the time, so you have to actually work work at a whole lot of this stuff, you know. And it's it's just the 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 elements of fantasy and science fiction um, help move the story along. And even if you're not engaging with the philosophical and moral questions that the episodes are dealing with, a lot of the glamour of being on a space spaceship, meeting alien races, etc., a lot of that will resonate with the general audience, even if you don't actually get into thinking about the themes. 
Yeah, just like the surface level variety. Exactly. So, uh, the, the surface level variety, but also, like I said, the um, the 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 the, the fan. Um, when I say fantasy, I don't mean like orcs and elves and stuff like that. But the fantasy element of I can imagine myself living on a ship like this. Yeah, just sort of that the the post scarcity society where it's like all of your problems have been solved for the most part. Right. Yeah. Unless you're on Deep Space Nine or possibly the newer Discovery series when some of those problems crop up again, which have to be dealt with, and that's part of the whole ethos of the series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, question seven. Say that I do end up enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation. What would be your number one follow-up? Doesn't necessarily have to be a sequel or anything. But where would I turn if I wanted more of the same? If you want more of the same, uh, which I realize I might be a little bit tricky given how much diverse. variety there is, and exactly I, like each different series has their like different focuses and aspects, right. and all I imagine. Right, but like if you want more of the same, um, Doctor Who could be a good. Um, a, a good thing because that's a whole lot of space and time travel and dealing with serious issues as well as being corny and campy at times as well. Um, there's also, if you're into books, there's also a whole variety of Star Trek books that uh, exist. And of course they're not canon. They're not like a, well, they're officially licensed, but they're not officially part of the timeline of the of the series or whatever that you want to get into. But like I have found, like I could give you. Could I could I put some pictures on the on the page for this podcast because I could show you my entire. Star Trek book collections, and a lot of them go into a whole lot of issues that the official episodes don't go into. Like they have, um, there's the Starfleet Corps of Engineers. If you want to get to on the more techno babble side, or you have what's the name of that stupid series? Star Trek Vanguard is a good series if you liked, say, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but you were interested in what that would be like in a more original series uh, time frame. Like, what, what, uh, what sort of, like, political intrigue and stuff like that would happen in Kirk's time rather than Cisco's time? Cool. So Doctor Who and the novelizations you'd recommend? I would definitely recommend. And then, of course, there's, um, like I said, you know, like both of us said, uh, because it's such a wide range, it's really hard to recommend specifically. Um, but if you're into the the general themes, like, I would guess maybe firefly a little bit um because that's 
that's also like future space things, but it also does kind of tackle moral issues, but it tackles them in a very different way. But I guess if you're into Star Trek, you are into having your ideas challenged. <laughs> yeah, I, sounds like that's a reasonable uh, takeaway. Uh, question eight. Sometimes our engagement with a piece of media comes from a position of relativity. Did you have a character that you related to and what drew you to them, if so? Absolutely. That would be Lieutenant Commander uh, Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. I grew up with Next Generation, um, as I mentioned. And Data was a character that I really resonated because he felt like an outsider. And he felt like everybody else is relating in a way that he can't and i felt as i didn't know what the term was at the time but it was it's it's the autism it's like um and the neurodiversity that this is a character that is not on the same level as the other characters and he knows it and they know it but unlike the world that I, you know, that I was growing up in, who didn't seem to understand, this was a future that I could look at where a character that feels a lot like myself, a character who is an outsider, who looks at things very differently from the, from most people, um, this type of character is accepted. His viewpoints are valid. And this is a society that says, okay, Data can be who he is, and he can grow in his own ways, and he can contribute in ways that we never thought of, and we will accept that. And that resonated with me mainly because I felt a very similar way with the exception of... I'm not getting that response from society. But Star Trek gave me the hope that maybe it could. Maybe society could grow into that. Yeah, and building that sort of uh, hope to keep going. Exactly. And that is that is one of the, I would say, central themes of Star Trek is growth. It's growth of people, it's growth of society, it's growth of various things, but it's, it's definitely a growth and maturity and trying to be better than what you were before. And sometimes that's hard, and sometimes you need a breather, and sometimes you don't know if you're better. You just know that you're changed. Hmm. And you have to grapple with that sometimes. Yeah, you just accept what is and what's to come, regardless exactly. of what it is. You, you, you realize that you are trying to strive to be a better person. You are striving to change society for a way that will be better for all of us. 
and sometimes you tackle hard things and you have to deal with that. And sometimes you make mistakes and you have to deal with that. But in the long run, there is the hope of Star Trek. There is the hope that not only will we have warp drive, maybe we'll never have warp drive. Maybe that's a scientific impossibility. We don't know. But the societal implications of getting rid of poverty, getting rid of a lot of the um, racism and other isms of society, these societal ills can be overcome if we strive hard enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I need to add anything to that. <laughs> Uh, but I will. Question nine. <laughs> a lot of these types of interviews rely on the question of what would you bring with you to a desert island in order to get to know a person? But that's not this show. What we ask instead is to picture the following scenario. You're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, but food, water, shelter, and everything like that has been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. You've also been provided a single piece of media and the means to engage with it. And for you, it is Star Trek. How frequently do you utilize it? And how long would it take for you to be sick of it? I don't know that I would... Well, I would definitely utilize it on a daily basis. Because if I don't have the internet or any other people to engage with, I can still engage with these characters. I can still engage with these situations. I can still enjoy this. And I can still watch a junk food episode as I, as I call them, if I need to, um, because this is a very, you know, like I said, it has, it has such variety that like, I know most of like, I haven't watched a couple of the more recent, uh, uh, seasons of discovery or strange new worlds. Um, but for the rest of them, I basically know, the episodes back, you know, back and forth, and I could quote them verbatim. Uh, but they are still, I would say, you know, comfort media. And I could, even even though I know the outcome, like the back of my hand, it's still something that is a well-worn, um, I guess it's like, a, it's, I guess it's like a, a favorite piece of clothing. Like, you break it in, and it feels good. That's what Star Trek is to me. It's something that feels good, even though it is so familiar. That familiarity is is the comfort in itself. And when I need a good, you know, when I need a good thought, I know which episodes to go through. When I need just to relax, I know other episodes to look at. And it will definitely be a a source of engagement for me on this deserted island until the until the end of my natural life. I would say it, I would I would engage with it almost immediately. I would engage with it daily. And to say that I would become sick of it would probably take. I, I could theoretically see myself becoming sick of it eventually, 
but I would have to have a much longer lifespan than a human. <laughs> like, a, it, like I have to be living to be like 150, 200 before I would be actually sick of it. <laughs> yeah, fair. I mean, that gives people a bit of an idea about what's available. Especially with more stuff coming out. I would, I would assume that I would get the new seasons as they, as they appeared. Nope. It's oh, deserted it. Island. No internet. Dang it. Okay. So, um, can we put me on the deserted Island after the section 31 series comes out? Mm, yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll be kind I of while my... I desert you. <laughs> okay. Can I take my books with me too? You my, know what? My yes. Star Trek books. Okay. Because <laughs> sometimes, like I said, Star Trek is not always just you know um, a show or a movie. It's you know, like I said, there's also the extent extended canon um, um, of uh, the books, and there's also comics, and there's also if you really want to even get into it, fan fiction, <laughs> most of it's most of fan. I would say most fan fiction is trash, but most everything is trash. Like 90, I forget who says it, but 90% of everything is trash. And I do kind of agree with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there is definitely, there are definitely gold nuggets within that fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. But that is all the questions I had, so thank you for indulging me. Oh, well, thank you. It was great to talk about something that I enjoy. So, I don't get to do that as often as I like. So hopefully that's given people a little bit of a deeper insight into your perspective. Yeah, it's definitely something to chew on, something to think about, something to hopefully broaden your horizons and expand your mind just like star trek so i do have a follow-up review from last episode's enemy of the show and self-proclaimed deals monger no fishy deals uh, the passerby and his recommendation of rainbow six siege is this something that you're familiar with i i i know what it is i have a few people i am familiar with uh that stream it but it's definitely not my vibe like like shooter games like that um i could see myself playing it for some time like if you were asking me with the whole like rainbow six siege on the deserted island i would get sick of that pretty quick but (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I am I am familiar enough with it to understand um, the generalities of it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, being like a first-person shooter, it's not exactly my forte. Mm-hmm. Um, and with how twitchy it is, it's like you need to play it with a mouse and keyboard. It's like mm-hmm. I physically cannot do it at that at that pace that's required. So I think I could learn ha- learn that, but I wouldn't enjoy the process of learning it. Once I did learn it, you know, I could probably play it, you know, just pick it up and play it. But like 
and possibly enjoy it. But that learning process seems no bueno to me. <laughs> yeah, because I like even before we got into playing it for like the um for me to experience it, it was just like if you use a controller, you are going to be dead because you will not be able to move fast mm. enough. And I, I am you, personally a mouse and keyboard gamer traditionally naturally you know i i really don't understand even how to to control um a first person shooter from a controller and even then i've looked at uh rainbow six and been a little bit off put (laughs) by that (laughs) and then also it's the if you don't have a character that you paid for your own team will kill you because you're you're clearly not up to their standards. Like these were things that were told to me before we even played. It's like, oh boy, I really don't feel like it now. <laughs> that but, yeah, that's a toxic yeah. fandom. I mean, Star Trek has a toxic fandom, but usually not that toxic. <laughs> but it's like playing it. I could see how people would enjoy it. It mm. it's not for me. But then again, it's like shooters aren't really my domain to begin with. So exactly. I think I'll, I'll be fair and give it a two out of five. But I know that like logically I should be rating it a little bit lower. But I'm trying to be fair to it's like, well, it's not my taste. But I know there right. are people that enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not don't, here to yuck, yuck anyone's yums. Exactly. So... Now, before we wrap up this, the final ever episode of Check This Out for this recording session, and 22nd time I've made that joke, uh, could you tell the audience where they might find you online and if you have anything to advertise? I have, I guess you can find me as Admiral Mamo on various uh, social media or streaming platforms like YouTube. Like, I am privileged to have a user handle that is not taken in <laughs> in basically anything I choose to um, choose to join. So I can yeah. be very, very specific. Um, yeah, must be I, nice. Yeah. Uh, which was the opposite of my the beginning of my online experience because of my uh, real world name and just starting with just Mamo, um, that was usually taken as well, or Mr. Mamo or whatever. So like once I figured out the whole Admiral part, um, that just kind of kicked in and is like, I can just join Twitch. I can just join YouTube. I can just join Twitter or, um, you know, whatever. And that name will be available. And that's, those are like some of the basic places that you will find me. Um, yeah. Uh, it's A D M I R A L M E M O. And there is, I don't think you have time for the, I would say probably five to 10 minute explanation of how I got that, but you can find that on my Twitter. (laughs) And on that note, I've been Al. I've been Mike. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, you lie in it. <laughs>